If you've got a Bible, if you'd like to turn with us to Luke chapter 6. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, before we took a couple of weeks break and were off at the yard because the school was closed for filming, uh, we've been looking at uh, what it means to follow Jesus. What we've been looking at is uh, what does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus? And, and one of the things that we've been saying is that to be an apprentice or a follower of Jesus, it means that we're going to order our lives around three principal things. And, and the first is that we're going to, uh, we want to be with Jesus, we want to become like Jesus, and we want to do what Jesus did. So they're the three things around which we orient our lives. And this morning we're going to look at the second of those, becoming like Jesus. So let's have a look at Luke chapter 6, uh, starting verse 39. It says this, Jesus also told them this parable, and kind of get ready for the shortest parable known to man. It's like two verses long. Um, Jesus goes on, he says, can the blind lead the blind? To which we assume the answer is no. Will they not both fall into a pit? To which we assume the answer is probably. Then he goes on, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And that's it. That's like the parable is over and done with, full stop. Parable, end, short, sharp. And what's the parable about? Well, essentially, it's about discipleship. You know, that reference there, Jesus mentions uh, to the blind, is actually a nod to the Pharisees. You read through the Gospels, some of the things that sometimes Jesus called the Pharisees, things like blind guides. And what Jesus is saying is that there are people out there who are, they're kind of like blind disciples because they're following blind teachers, blind rabbis. It's the case of the blind leading the blind. And people have got rabbis, everyone's got a rabbi, everyone's a follower of something or somebody, but they're kind of in danger and at risk of falling into a pit. And then he says the student or the disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. You know, we're talking about becoming like Jesus, and Jesus is saying we need to become like their teacher, and that's because that's the whole point of discipleship. Discipleship is about becoming like your rabbi or your teacher. And it, it's not enough just to know everything there is to know about them. You know, or in our case, to know everything that there is in the Bible or to be, you know, an expert in theology. That's not enough. We're to be actually, as disciples and followers of Jesus, we're to be actually transformed into the image of our teacher, our rabbi. We are to actually become like uh, rabbi in our case to become like Jesus you notice just from this short parable that Jesus is suggesting there's an implication that there's training involved in this whole process Jesus uses the language of being fully trained um, and that suggests that becoming a follower of Jesus becoming a being a disciple it's not like a you know it's not an instant thing it's not a short thing it's going to take time it's not it's 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 going to take an intentionality around being trained and there's even this suggestion if there's a if there's like a fully trained disciple that suggests that there's also a kind of not fully trained disciple a partially trained disciple and that kind of gives us the impression that well actually maybe there is a there are phases and stages in our journey to becoming more like jesus so for us here today what does all of this mean you know, if we're, if we're followers of Jesus and our goal is to be with Jesus and it's to become like Jesus and it's to do the things that Jesus did, you know, sometimes, certainly for me, I, I, I look at those things and I, that's the goal. 
And then I kind of do a bit of a, a, an inventory as to where I am right now. And I kind of go, uh-uh. There's a discrepancy. There's a discrepancy in my life. It's between the reality of those things and sort of the hope. And for me, certainly, I, I realize that if I'm wanting to step into those things of being with Jesus, of becoming like Jesus, of doing the things that Jesus did, there's a lot of stuff in me that yet still needs to change. And when I say change, I don't just mean like a little tweak here and there. What I'm talking about is that, you know, some of us, we just need a, a radical overhaul of our entire person. Just like from the inside out, not from the outside in. And you read through the New Testament, and the New Testament word for this kind of change, you know, this fundamental and foundational level of change, um, is the word transformation. You read about it, you see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And Paul writes and he says, and we all who with unveiled faces, you know, reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed with ever increasing glory into the image of Jesus. Which comes uh, from the Lord, uh, who is the spirit. This idea of us being ever um, transformed with ever increasing glory into the image of Jesus. That's what transformation looks like and and that word transformation is actually the greek word we get the word metamorphosis and so the idea is that this transformation involves such a stark translation as that from like a caterpillar to a butterfly but the question is for i i think for us is you know is that kind of change even possible is this kind of radical transformation from the bottom up from the inside out is it actually possible and if so how how might any of it come about how do we actually become more like jesus because when we think about ourselves one of the things i think that we've got incredibly good at is looking like we've got our acts together you know we we we're very good at presenting a a facade and and a mask and a face and a front that's like yeah i've got it all sewn up so on the surface you know so many of us we look like we're doing really really well you know we've got all our ducks in a row we look like we've got this thing called life pretty nailed however just as many of us if if not more maybe all of us truth be told you, you know just there under the surface and it's not very far in for many of us it's not very far under the surface just scratch the surface a little bit you just bump into the wrong person at the wrong time and we suddenly realize that actually so many of us are struggling with deeply difficult areas of our lives where it's almost like the the transforming redemptive purposes of jesus haven't sort of reached you know jesus transformation hasn't reached those parts yet and so they're kind of they feel like they're sort of not included in the other areas of our life where we've been transformed and so we find ourselves overwhelmed with things like anxiety you know, we've, we we find ourselves so many of us find ourselves living trapped with some kind of addiction that we just like i it's like no matter how hard i try just no matter what i seem to do just can't seem to make any progress can't seem to stop you know we completely resonate and echo the words of paul in romans chapter 7 where he says i don't understand what i'm doing like I just don't understand what I'm doing, paraphrase. You know, uh, for I do, uh, for what I, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate doing, I do. 
And so many of us can kind of go, that's exactly what I'm like. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. I don't want to do those things, but I end up doing those things. I don't want to be like that, but I end up being like that. And I want to be like this, but I don't do that. Huh. So for many of us, the problem isn't that we don't want to change. It's not that we don't want to become like Jesus. It's not even that we don't want to try to change. It's not that we don't want to even try to become like Jesus. The problem for lots of us is, is how do we actually do it? And what we try and do is we work really, really hard. We, we, we give it our best shot. You know, we say, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. And uh, we fail, you know, and then we become worried about worrying. So we're worrying even more. Um, and then we feel like we haven't succeeded, so we become disillusioned. And then we don't know what to do with ourselves. Uh, we just kind of go through the motions. We pitch up at church. We do all the right things. We look pretty good from the outside, to be sure. But deep down, we kind of know that transformed life that Jesus has come to give us. You know, living that in that freedom and that abundance is like, you know, that's not actually really my experience. So how might we begin thinking about going about it? Let's, let's just start with something around the, the, the sort of insider lingo for this kind of change is actually spiritual formation. That's what we are talking about here. That's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Dallas Willard, um, he says this. He says, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. You see, because the reality is we're all being shaped. We're all being formed uh, by something, into something. We're all a disciple of something or some body. And so the question isn't, are we a disciple? The question is, who or what are we a disciple of? Who are we following? Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson puts it like this. He says, the gods we worship write their names on our faces. Be sure of that. And a man will worship something. Have no doubt about that either. He may think that his tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of his heart, but it will out. That which dominates will determine his life and character. Therefore, it behoves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshipping we are becoming. Because we're all disciples. The question is, what are we being formed and shaped into? I'm going to try um, something out. If we can get that um, first, really, look at that did that myself and the first we're going to look at is what we might call unintentional spiritual formation and the idea around this sort of unintentional spiritual formation is you know if we wake up tomorrow morning you you wake up in the morning you you, you jump in the shower you get dressed you go to work or you go to university you've got some lectures or you 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 just go about your day or whatever it is um but your approach to your day tomorrow you just haven't given any intentional thought to your discipleship with Jesus. If that's how we're approaching our day, this is most likely kind of roughly how we're going to be formed and shaped. And firstly, we're sort of formed and shaped and molded by the stories that we believe. All of us love story. And that's why we love film and literature and myth and storytelling. There's something that's hardwired into us as human beings, I think, that makes us love all of that kind of stuff. Um, but the stories or the narratives, the, 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 the way we understand and explain the world around us, that we both kind of believe and we at the same time don't believe, they're going to shape the way and inform the way in which we approach life and the way that we live life. I don't know, take something like sexuality. Okay, so um, if, if we believe the story of something like evolution, 
If we believe that, you know, basically that, that God had absolutely nothing to do with the creation of us as human beings. God was not involved in that process. Um, if we think, if we believe the story that humanity is really nothing more than like a glorified accident, you know, that we all ended up here sort of through some cosmic fluke. Um, if we believe, therefore, that as humans, we're actually just a slightly more evolved species than some of our other animal friends. If we believe the story that monogamy, for example, is actually just a social construct, if we believe that marriage was sort of just invented by someone at some point just to kind of keep everybody behaving appropriately, if we believe that sex, you know, whilst fun is, is, is actually, you know, because of our sort of environment, uh, our um, evolution theory, you know, we, it's actually nothing really more than biological release. It's sort of, or sort of like, you know, um, play for grown-ups. If these are the sorts of stories and the narratives that we believe, and lots of people believe those sorts of things, they are going to have a huge effect on the way that we behave. They're going to have a fundamental and foundational effect on the way that we express our sexuality. They're going to have a fundamental and major effect on the way that we do our relationships with other people. All of it informed by the stories that we believed. So first we've got the stories that we believed. Secondly, you've got these habits, right? The, the habits that we take on and the things that we kind of do. And the idea with this on habits is that we are, in fact, little more than the cumulative effect of sort of what we do on a daily and a weekly basis. And so what we do on a regular basis, we become. That's what Ralph Waldo Emerson's saying. You know, the gods we worship write their names on our faces. For what we worship, we are becoming. And so what we do is having a, a fundamental and foundational impact on who we are becoming. And what it means is that the things that we do, at the same time as we are doing them, the things that we are doing are doing something to us. Does that make sense? So our habits have got a habit of kind of getting under our skin somehow. And they begin to permeate the core of our being. And they actually start to shape our loves and our longings. What the New Testament calls our heart. You know, how many of us, actually, honestly, when we were 15 or 16, or whenever it was you started, or you were first exposed to coffee? Like, actually liked it? Like, honestly? Like, seriously? Like, do you remember your first cup of coffee? Like, I don't, I don't, I didn't really come across coffee until I went to college. Um, and to be honest, I just thought, I thought coffee was pretty grim, you know? Um, I was much more of a tea man. Um, but everyone was, like, drinking coffee. Uh, everyone was getting into coffee, and so I kind of I pushed on, you know, and pressed through, um, you know, as you do. And at first, like, I'd drink it with, like, with, like, ten spoons of sugar just to disguise the taste, because I thought it was just so, disgust so disgusting. Um, and then, uh, but it meant that I could sort of still be one of the cool kids, because that's all that really mattered. And, but I was really, I was like, this is really grim. You know, and to be fair, in 1985, the coffee that was on offer um, wasn't that great. This is before the great coffee revolution that we've experienced over the last few years. And, um, you know, uh, let's just say Nescafe incident was about as good as it got. But we were all cool with our instant coffee. And, um, but I persisted until, um, you know, I actually convinced myself that I quite like coffee. Um, or at least I thought. And then um, after I graduated, I was living in Paris for a while. And because I was in Paris, coffee became like my best friend. And um, I, I drank and learned to drink vast quantities of thick black tar-like coffee. Um, it's pretty much always double espressos. I could drink coffee in 
copious amounts all day long and all night long without ever losing moments sleep. And my point is, for me, my routine, my habit, my habit of drinking coffee slowly but surely got under my skin. And before long, you know, my, my love and my longing for caffeine became firmly established into my daily routine. And woe betide anyone who got in between me and my first cup of coffee of the day. Don't worry, I've got through that whole kind of coffee addiction thing. You'll be glad to hear I'm much more self-controlled now. Um, I still can drink coffee at like 11 o'clock at night and not uh, miss a beat. But my point is that through the daily ritual of sinking several double espressos, you know, I began to love coffee. Now, I began to do that and, and carried on doing that, even though in my head, as we all know, coffee is very, very, very bad for you. And so um, if, you're not, if you're not sure about how, what, it, what it's doing to you, just kind of go cold turkey and see what happens. And that'll be entertaining. Uh, not for everybody else, but it'll be entertaining. And we know, in our heads, we know that if we just cut out coffee, I don't know why I'm picking on coffee, but um, chances are we'd sleep better at night. You know, might, we might even be more focused during the day. Uh, we might have more energy. I don't know. Um, and we know all of those things. We've got all those facts in our head, but, but even though we know those things, it doesn't change anything. We may know that it's bad for us, but we love it, or at least we think we do. And what we love, even if it's bad for us, has more of an effect on our lives than what we know to be true in our hearts. And so our habits shape our loves and our longings. So we've got the stories that we believe, we've got the habits that we take on. And then third, you've got our relationships. You know, we noticed how um, we, we become more and more like the people that we spend time with on a regular basis. Um, and that can either be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on who the people that we kind of hang out with. Um, but our relationships are also shaping us and forming us and molding us into something. And that's both good. That can be both good and bad. And then lastly, kind of holding all these things together, you've got, the, you've got our environment. Um, because all of these things happen in the context of an environment. And, and for us, our environment is sort of, you know, living in London in 2017. You know, and there's something about, like, like big cities, lie, uh, London living, sort of it almost has and takes on its, a persona of its own. And so there's something about the environment in which we find ourselves living. There's something about the culture of, the, of living in a city like London, of working in a city like London. There's the, there's the pace and the demand of life in the city that is, is actually kind of constantly driving. It's constantly going. It's, it's like the background noise in our environment. Uh, our two boys have just gone off to university. Uh, one's in Durham and one's in Manchester. And, and both of them having lived in London all of their lives, they're literally shocked by the culture of their new city homes. And um, they're both like, wow, like people in Durham, people in Manchester, they're like, they're like so friendly. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's really weird. And, um, and they're slightly, to be honest, they're slightly freaked out by it because it's like, what are you doing? And one of them was saying how the other day, like complete strangers keep talking to them as if they're their lifelong friends. And the boys are like, stranger danger. This is not how you function in any normal civilization, right? I have no idea who you are. Do not talk to me. Um, you just don't do that. Like they just, these Mancunians and Duramanians are clearly not educated in how to function. Um, and they're saying like, 
you get on a bus, you know, rarely are my boys ever, our boys ever get on a bus, but on the rare occasions that they go to, um, like, people are talking to each other, like strangers are talking to each other. Like they talk, people talk to them at the bus stop. Like why? Who would you do that? And, and our, for our boys, they're, they're like, this is all a little odd. Because the environments in which we've kind of grown up in and been brought up in, they have a culture of their own. Our, our workplaces have an environment, a cultural environment of their own. The places we live, our neighborhoods, um, all have cultural environments of their own. And all of those places, they're shaping and informing us, and they're shaping and informing who we should become and how we should behave. At least they are if that's how, if we want to belong. And then if geography weren't enough, you've also got this kind of the all-pervasive digital environment that we've now got as a backdrop to our lives with, with smartphones and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all kinds of things that I don't even know about. And they're all shaping us and forming us and molding us into something. And, and so many of us bemoan, you know, the way that social media has like changed, the way that we relate to each other and, oh, you know, it's just not like it was and this is really terrible and really dysfunctional. But at the same time, we can't help but post... You know, this is the view from my hotel room this morning on my luxury five-star holiday. Or the obligatory shots, you know, of bronzed legs and, you know, tanned toes pointing out against the backdrop of the Indian Ocean, you know, just for your information. So, because I know you're worried about where I've been, you see, so I thought you should share in it. And we can't help but post the best pictures of ourselves presenting some sort of slightly alternate reality of our own lives to the ones we're most likely living, just so that no one really can ever catch on to how we're actually doing. So the stories that we believe, the habits that we take on, the, the, environment, the, the, the relationships that we have and the environment in which we find ourselves. And all of this is sort of working together to shape us and form us into something. And the reality is this is just like the, um, the cultural current of the river, if you like, in which we find ourselves, in which we find ourselves living. And the, the cultural current of the river in which we find ourselves in 2017 London is very, very strong. And the truth is, all we have to do is wake up tomorrow morning and... If we're not paying attention, we just get into the river and we'll find ourselves by the end of the day, a hundred yards or a hundred meters downstream, swept along by the current of the culture. So the question for us as followers of Jesus is how do we counter that current? Because you know, that's a lot of stuff to be contending with. That's a lot of tide to be swimming against. How do we learn to swim against those currents um, that are taking us downstream in a direction that we may not want to go? How do we change things so that we are actually becoming less shaped by our culture and more transformed into becoming like Jesus? So let's try this. And remember what we're trying to do. We're just trying to lay some foundations here. We're going to try and talk about this a lot more over the next few months. But here are some of the ways that we can counter the cultural currents that we find ourselves in. And this is all about intentional spiritual formation. This is all about following Jesus. This is about us waking up tomorrow and choosing to follow after our teacher, to cho- choosing to follow after our rabbi, Jesus, so that we can offset some of the overwhelming trends and pulls of the cultural context in which we find ourselves. And so the way that we counter the stories that we believe is through teaching. And that's what we're trying to do now, believe it or not. Um, it's what we're trying to do when we wake up in the morning and read our Bibles. It's what we're trying to do when we read books about the Bible. It's what we're trying to do when we read books about the life of Jesus. 
Um, because all of that, that teaching, that input is going to play a f- foundational and fundamental part and role to, has a role to play in our intentional spiritual formation. And what teaching does is it kind of gets into our head and then it kind of permeates down and gets under our skin and begins to maybe wake us up to the fact that, that, that maybe what we had thought to be true all along isn't in fact necessarily the whole picture. Um, it's, it's sort of getting the right ideas into our head, and it's sort of Romans 12, um, so that we no longer conform to the pattern of this world because we've been transformed by the renewal of our minds. Um, that was the point of what Jesus was doing through parables. Um, Jesus was Jesus teaching, he was just constantly challenging some of the assumptions around what people might have thought life was really all about. And so Jesus sort of says, you know, in passing, uh, well, the first will be last. You're kind of like that. Uh, no, no, sorry. Um, no, surely the first will be first um, because that's why they're the first. And if they were last, then they wouldn't be first. They would be the last. And Jesus sort of goes, mm, yeah, not in the kingdom of heaven, they're not. And you're like, oh, oh, I'm not sure I understand that. Um, and then Jesus will say something like, blessed are the poor. And you're like, oh, sorry, don't mean to interrupt. I think, you, I think you mean blessed are the rich. Like, because like rich people have big houses and they go on nice holidays. Surely blessed are the rich. And Jesus says, mm, not, not actually so much in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and actually, while we're on the subject, it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is to kind of like squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle. Which, if you haven't tried it, Jesus says, paraphrase, um, it's quite difficult. It's a pretty tricky thing to do. And you're like, oh, well, who knew? I, 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 wouldn't, I didn't get that impression from, you know, the way life is. I didn't think blessed of the poor. You know, and then Jesus says, oh, love your enemies. And you're like, I'm sorry to be a pain, but um, if they're my enemies and I love them, then they won't be my enemies. So kind of what's the point of that? If I love these these people, I won't have any enemies. So why would I need to love my enemies? And Jesus says, mm, think about that a second. Uh, and uh, that's how things work in the kingdom of heaven. And you're like, oh. And it goes on and on and on and on. These stories that are just challenging some of our assumptions about the way that life is. So teaching challenges those assumptions. Practice. To counter some of the habits that we've got become entrenched in and we've dug into, we, we practice. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, um, about how it takes a lifetime of practice. This stuff doesn't happen overnight. You know, we don't just read the words of Jesus where he says, do not worry. And you're like, ah, like, why didn't you say so earlier? I've had a lifetime of worry. And if you'd only got to me sooner saying, don't worry, I could have saved myself all of that worry. Because like now you said, don't worry. I just, well, I just won't worry anymore. Done. Move on. Next. What else shouldn't I be doing? Just tell me. Uh, it doesn't, like, how many of you in trying not to worry have only added to your worry rather than stopping your worry? Because we can't, we can't do this stuff on our own. It takes a lifetime of practice a few weeks ago if you remember um, we said it's not about trying really hard must not worry must not worry damn kidding right um, it's, it's about training really hard you know we use that marathon analogy you know I'm speaking out of my personal experience and um, uh, that's how our, uh, we're to approach discipleship and being an apprentice of Jesus it's going to take time and it, it's, it's, it's not that we can't 
at this point, you know, live sort of down the track, a life that's free from worry or free from anxiety or free from lust or free from greed. It's just that maybe right now some of us can't live fully that way yet because we are in the process of being transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. We haven't yet been fully transformed into the image of Jesus. And so we're still wrestling with our anxiety and our worry and our lust and our greed. But tomorrow, I'm hoping that my anxiety and my worry and my lust and my greed will be a little bit um, less of an issue than they were today. And the day after, I'm hoping by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and some of the practice that we're doing, that um, those things will be even less of an issue than they were the day before. It's going to take time to work on these intentional practices of spiritual formation to counter the habits that we've got into. And some of us have got into those habits through many, 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 many years of unintentional spiritual formation. So we're a long way down the river and there's quite a long way to go. But that said, the practices of Jesus, they, they do more than helping us live well. Um, like any habit, they do something to us. Because the things that we do do something to us, uh, which can be bad news if you're doing bad stuff, but it can be great news if you're following on and taking on the practices of Jesus. Um, These things, which some people call spiritual disciplines, they're doing something very specific to our hearts. They get right into us and they find their way somehow into our hearts and they too transform our longings and our loves, but they transform them in a different direction to some of the other stuff. They change the orientation of our hearts, which is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why? Because our hearts, they they follow the tracks, if you like, that we lay down for it around what we treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you've been spending your 10 minutes a day in silence and solitude, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, just being with Jesus, and you've probably already begun to see how this works. You know, if you're anything like me, you kind of somewhat reluctantly carve out your 10 minutes of the day, sort of like, I have got so many other things to be doing, like watching paint dry, for example. Um, I, I, I've got so many other places to be, um, but it's like, for me, I'm like, I better do it, not least because I've told all of you to do it. Um, so I find 10 minutes maybe and sit and fidget and, 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 and sitting down, supposedly spending 10 minutes with Jesus, I suddenly realize exactly how many things I'm supposed to be doing um, and how incredibly busy I really, really am. Um, and then I just kind of resign myself to the fact that it's like, Ugh, just get on with it, I'll be able to, you know. So I s- sit in silence and solitude. And you know what? Um, they've been some of the most wonderful heart-quietening, restorative moments of my days. Um, I can't explain it, because all I was doing was sitting in silence and solitude in the presence of Jesus, but it's actually in those moments that the stresses and the strains of the week just sort of kind of evaporated. And I sort of went, well, maybe they're actually not as important as I thought they were. And my heart shifted maybe only very slightly but I noticed the change in myself Um, so there you have it there's something about adopting these practices of Jesus we see Jesus doing them throughout the gospels and it's doing something very good and positive and healthy um, in our hearts our hearts get changed so habits comes in the place of practice and third in place of relationships comes community 
And you kind of say, well, what's the difference? Well, I think the difference is that relationships in the main are the ones that we choose. We choose the relationships that we have. Community is sort of chosen for us. Um, Community, sort of in this context, are really the other followers of Jesus that we know that we've kind of inherited. It's a bit like family. You, You know, you don't pick your family you don't choose your family and we we find ourselves in community with one another because we go to the same church or we go to the same small group or whatever and the truth is you know if we were being really honest they're not necessarily the sort of people that we would actually choose to hang out with like ever another time does that make sense um these are the people that we've made a decision to follow jesus with with but that's incredibly incredibly important Um, because transformation and change happens in the context of community Um, because being part of community it does two slightly stressful but also awesome things to us all and the two things that it does is first of all um, it exposes us (laughs) and the second thing it does is it encourages us and it exposes us because being in community is sort of like you know like being a sponge and you're filled up with stuff in your sponge to all intents and purposes over there you look just like a sponge what community does is it gets all of these sponges and brings them really really close to each other and it creates this environment whereby everyone's getting closer and closer and closer and more and more squeezed by being in proximity to one another that all the stuff that's in you starts to squeeze out and when people look at you they go oh so you're actually just not a sponge you're full of that who knew and that could be Gloria, look at that you're full of like a really like vintage wine i'm going to put my glass under your sponge and drink oh that's gooey <laughs> that's slime i don't really want that stuff dripping all over us um and so it brings out um you know whether it's the community of marriage or whether it's church or a small group whatever community living in community brings out the best and the worst sort of of us these are our finest moments and our sort of darkest moments um but the great thing about community and being exposed in the context of community is that community is also the place that brings us great encouragement and so you're in your small group and someone says to you yeah actually do you know what that was pretty off don't do that don't do that again mate that shouldn't say that or you shouldn't be like that or you don't need to behave like that but they then follow it with we love you i love you i'm committed to you i i can see who you're becoming i can see what jesus is doing in your life i am with you for the journey i'd love to stand alongside you i'd love to support you i'd love to pray for you i'd love to encourage you that's what happens in the context of community and slowly but surely we get transformed as a result of it and community can be really really hard um, absolutely, but it's really worth it if we want to experience transformation. And then finally, uh, in place of our environment is the Holy Spirit. And, and we just need to think back to what we were saying a few weeks ago about abiding. Because the goal is that the Holy Spirit becomes our dominant reality and shaping environment, much more so than our upbringing or our background, much more so than our social status, much more than our gender, or our workplace identity, or anything else. It's in and through the Holy Spirit that's to be the primary way in which we are to experience and engage with life. 
And that's the baseline for all transformation. Paul writes in Galatians, walk in the spirit, keep in step with the spirit. In Ephesians, he says, be filled with the spirit of God. Go on being filled with the spirit of God. And it's as a result of this walking in the spirit and keeping in step with the spirit and being filled with the spirit and go on being filled with the spirit that the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, blah, 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 against such there is no law. It's against the backdrop of that walking in the spirit and keeping in the spirit, in step with the spirit and, and, and being filled in the spirit that the fruit of the spirit is made manifest in our lives because all of these things happen over time. We don't just become like Jesus overnight. There are no shortcuts to character. All we can do is we can um, grow it and nurture it. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is appropriate and apt because the character is just like, it's like growing a tree. You know, and this is a tree that doesn't take five minutes or a year or two years to grow. This is a tree that takes a decade or two or three or four to become established. And that's not a bad thing. And it may not be what we're used to in our kind of everything, everything at our fingertips and as in an instant culture. But this is how God seems to have ordained and created the whole thing. That's what we're going to be looking at into the next few months. So how, how do we change to become more like Jesus? Well, through teaching, through practice, through community, all in the context and the environment of walking in the spirit and keeping in step with the spirit of God and being filled and going on being filled by the spirit of God. And just to end with, having set us the challenge for um, you know, spending 10 minutes with Jesus in silence and solitude every day, here's just a couple of things um, maybe for us to ponder over this next week. And the first is to ask ourselves the question of um, who we are becoming. Like, just take some time and ask yourself the question, who am I becoming? And because every single one of us, we are becoming somebody or something. And, you know, if we were to take a moment and to sort of plot out the trajectory of the arc of our character, you know, over the next five years or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, when you, when you do that, who is it that you see in that distant horizon? on the horizon what what is the what person do you see you know do you see jesus sort of expressed through your personality through your gender through your ethnicity your stage of life you know do you feel like oh do you know what it feels like it's really really far away it feels like it's really slow going it feels like sometimes like i'm never ever going to get there but do you know what actually yeah broadly speaking i think i'm on track to becoming that sort of person or do you look at the person who's sort of down the track in 10, 20, 30, however many years' time and go, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't like the look of that person. I don't want to become that person. I don't think that's who God has called me to be. So let's be asking ourselves that question. Uh, go for a walk. Take a journal with you. Um, if you're feeling really brave, uh, pick your right moments and uh, maybe do love after marriage first. But um, ask your spouse. Um, ask your friends. Um, but just if you're going to ask the question of who are you becoming can I just encourage us all to invite the Holy Spirit into that conversation before we ask that question let's ask the Spirit of God to speak to us Um, take the text from Psalm 139 say to the Lord search me Lord know me know my heart come and test me and, 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 and know my anxious thoughts 
spirit of the living God, come and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And show me who am I becoming. And then let's think about how do we work on becoming the person that God has actually ordained and called you and set you apart to be. And then secondly, um, ask yourself if you believe that you really can change. Ask yourself if you believe the transformation, the radical transformation that we've been talking about, whether it's actually possible, whether it's actually something that Jesus has promised and is able to deliver against. And I think, just be honest with the Lord about where you're at with that. Um, go to him with, with one of the things that always trips you up. You know what that is. Right? Go to him with some of the things that are going on in your life that maybe you are the only person on the planet who knows anything about. Only you know exactly what's going on in your heart. And just go to the Lord and say, I, I know, and God, I guess you know, but this is what I'm struggling with. And ask him, seek him for all that he has for you. Ask him to show you who you really are. Um, and that that pattern of behavior or that addiction or whatever it is actually isn't part of your identity and your personality and, and, and your character and who you are. It's something that is, uh, just, just needs to be worked through. Because I just want to encourage us all, you know, um, in a really good way, that we can change. You can change. We can be changed. If you're stuck, if you're stuck with an addiction or a habit or a relational dysfunction or a pattern of behaviors, you know, if you just feel like you're not getting anywhere, I just want to encourage you all that change is possible. We can all experience this wonderful transformation that Jesus offers us as we um, lay down our lives one day at a time, sweet Jesus, um, before Jesus, and say, here I am, have your way. Okay? Nod politely. Why don't you stand?